trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. I'm so glad you could join us today. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. I've got Eric Peters from EPAutos.com joining me. Eric, welcome aboard. Well, it's great to be back in Golf's Gulch, isn't it? Isn't it? I, you know, I, I go in between, uh, you know, these, these moods where I'm like, oh, boy, things are, things are really getting crazy. And then I feel this yep. exhilaration when I see that there are people pushing back. And you and I were talking just before we jumped on the air here. Um, how about those airline pilots and air traffic mm-hmm. controllers? Uh, Southwest learned kind of an interesting lesson, didn't they? Well, they did. And what's even more interesting to me is the fail of the major corporate-owned press, which serves as the PR organ of the government and also the reverse, to uh, prevent the story from getting out. You know, they attempted to convey to the public that was what was happening in Florida with Southwest was just due to bad weather, you know, nothing to look at here, nothing to see with all these flight cancellations. Well, it turns out there was a mass walkout of people who work for Southwest Airlines uh, and flight controllers, pilots, uh, stewardesses, all of those kinds of people who just refused to be jabbed. And uh, they can't suppress it anymore. These people are now actually in the streets with signs protesting and saying they're not going to have any of it. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, courage is contagious. The CEO of Delta Airlines came out yesterday and said that he will defy the Biden mandate and will not impose jabs on the employees of Delta Airlines, which is wonderful news. And if this thing uh, takes on, gets, gathers more momentum, it's going to be unstoppable. Well, I'm encouraged to to hear this because uh, we're we're fast approaching the the biggest mass firing that uh, that I think we will have seen most likely in our lifetimes. Yeah, and that's what the threat is. But there's a greater threat, and that is the threat of debilitating, crippling, permanent illness or death. And I think that the reason we're beginning to see mass resistance to these jab mandates is because even though the media is not reporting on it, within these organizations. There are people who have gotten deathly ill or died as a result of having been jabbed, including professional athletes, including flight personnel. And the people who work with those folks, they know what went on. It doesn't matter that CNN isn't reporting it. They know. And if you see somebody that you knew that you worked with who was perfectly healthy one day, and then next week that person is dead after having been vaccinated, you're probably not going to submit to that jab. It doesn't matter how well paid you are and how prestigious your job is. Death is permanent. You can always get a new job. Well, and, and one of the things, I, I saw an article recently that pointed this out. You know, the vaccination is supposed to provide a benefit at the individual level. In, in, in other yeah. words, the, the selling point is, well, Eric, if you take the jab, you might still get COVID, but at least you won't get it mm-hmm. so badly. So there's, there's the, personal, um, mm-hmm. the personal benefit for you, but it's not a societal benefit. In other words, it's not going to stop the virus. It's not going to prevent you from getting it or sharing the virus. So really, the public health authorities should not even be a part of that equation because it's a personal choice. Of the many critiques that can be leveled at what's going on, uh, one of the most powerful, I think, is the absence of nuance. Uh, We know that people's individual risk profile varies. If you're 84-year-old James Earl Jones with cancer, 
and heavily immunocompromised, then perhaps it makes sense to be vaccinated as he was, though it didn't help him much. He died anyhow. Um, but if you're young and healthy and your risk profile is essentially nil from getting, uh, from getting this Rona, why in the world would you? And why would the government or why would corporations try to force people to do that? That, that is a profoundly disturbing thing in my point of view. Um, and I think that people are beginning to ask the same questions that you and I have been entertaining on the air for the past year plus. Well, I, I'm grateful to see some pushback, but it's it's also pretty clear there uh, somebody's going to have to blink here pretty soon. Um, tell yeah. me your thoughts on the supply chain breakdown, because I'm getting some some whiffs of the idea that, well, if we all just get vaccinated, maybe we can relax mm-hmm. some of these regulations and get things moving again. Well, yeah, it's another attempt to use threats. Uh, and coercion against people, uh, you know, to pressure them to submit to this, which is itself another outrageous thing. We have a we have a government that is becoming indistinguishable from a mafia, an overt gangster uh, enterprise that uses violence. They threaten to kneecap you, break your legs or whatever, uh, if you don't submit to what they tell you to do. And now what they're trying to do is threaten you with, well, you're not going to be able to get your food. You're not going to be able to get uh, the things that you need for ordinary life because we, you know, we have to make sure everybody gets the jab. This, this frantic desperation, this, uh, this, this push to get everybody jabbed is itself something that should make people start to question and think, what is the reason for this? It's clearly not a public health reason. If it were public health, the focus of this vaccination stuff would be on the people who are at risk, which is fine. That's reasonable. That makes sense. Most of us can understand that. But the fact that they're trying to push this on everybody sets off all kinds of red flags in my mind and yours and I think in the minds of every thoughtful person. No, I, I'm with you on this. And it's it's a really interesting time, Eric. I know you've been doing your part to, to kind of shore up your own situation. I, I'm doing mm-hmm. the same on my end. Um, what, are, what are grocery stores like in, in your neck of the woods? Are you seeing gaps on the shelves? Are you seeing dramatic increases in pricing yet? Yeah, I'm seeing both, actually. The store shelves are beginning to get what I'll style, the commercial hillbilly smile, you know, the toothless smile, where you see these great gaps in uh, shelves that used to be fully stocked. And in some cases, I was at Evil Mart, Walmart, a couple of days ago with my girlfriend, and we were shopping, and we went through the candy aisle because I've got a sweet tooth. And there was practically no candy. The whole aisle was bereft of candy, which was striking. I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, outside of old documentaries about what life was like in the Soviet Union, where you saw these uh, state supermarkets where there were plenty of shelves but just nothing on them. Now, the other thing is the the rising prices of everything. Um, This is just anecdotal, and I'm sure other people out there have their own experiences, but I'll share this. I went to buy some groceries the other day, and uh, I got a couple of pork chops. Pork used to be really inexpensive, which is one of the reasons I bought it, because it was a great way to save money. You could get a pair of pork chops for five or six bucks, that same that same pair of pork chops is now about ten dollars, and that is a staggering price increase. Yeah, that's steaks are unaffordable. Even ground beef has risen to absolutely unmanageable prices. And as I walk around and look at these people who are shopping, I wonder when is the breaking point going to be reached? You know, I know what I make, and I think I know what most people make. And you cannot just continue to exist when the cost of eating goes up twenty percent, thirty percent in the course of a few months. Something you pointed out in, in a recent article was, you know, how pork and chicken, things which used to be kind of, you know, low-cost staples or yeah. sources of protein, they're becoming like lobster. Well, we'll get some right. for a special occasion, but we'll only eat it, you know, on yeah. your birthday. 
Right. Isn't that sad? You know, you and I, when we were kids, yeah, lobster was a special treat or, you know, even a steak. That was something that you had maybe on Sunday after church or whatever. It wasn't the normal fare because, you know, it was fairly pricey and most people couldn't afford to eat that all the time. But most families could afford to eat chicken and pork. (laughs) Not anymore. And by the way, you know, you and I have talked about, uh, you know, raising our own food. And I raise ducks and I raise chickens. And I looked into the case to see what the cost of a duck is at my local supermarket. And for a duck, one duck, mind you, $42. Holy cow. So did you start filling out the loan paperwork or <laughs> right. bring it home with you? you know, I wonder when that's going to happen, you know, when they're going to financialize food and you're going to have to sign up for some kind of revolving payment scheme where, you know, you're just basically paying your X fee for a month in return for whatever gruel they decide to parcel out. Hold on to your hat, because I saw something which I was sure was parody last week, and I think this is actually legit. And it's a couple of different pizza places, like Papa John's, Domino's. We're talking Mm -hmm. big franchises that uh, are offering, uh, basically, you know, order your pizza, pay it off over the next six weeks. Sure. Ooh, that couldn't lead to any mischief. (laughs) It's inevitable. I think you and I talked off air once about something that happened. This was before all of the latest inflation of everything. This was probably about three months ago. My girlfriend and I had not eaten at a McDonald's in a long time, like several years. And we were just driving around, and we saw one and thought, you know, hey, what the heck, let's revisit and remember uh, the whole fast food experience. And we went in, and we got uh, each of us a hamburger. She got a Big Mac. I got a quarter pounder with cheese. We got a set of fries, and we were out of pocket more than $15 for that. Holy smokes. For fast food. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I don't, I don't want to just blame the politicians. You know, it's, I mean, they're, they're a convenient target. But um, we got, we're coming up on the break here. When we come back, mm-hmm. I, you had an article about what $5 or more gas would mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we're, we're staring that in the face at this point, too. Absolutely. Unfortunately. Okay, so Eric Peters is on the line with me. Hang on, we're going to continue our conversation here in just a few moments. Our program is brought to you in part today by LifesavingFood.com. You know, going along with what Eric and I have been talking about, the price increases are starting to hit some of these food storage suppliers as well. I was talking with uh, Kendall from Life Saving Food just yesterday, and he told me um, they they can't keep eating the costs like they once did. So, my listeners still get a discount. Use my last name, Hyde, H-Y-D-E, at checkout, and we'll save you 20%. But uh, the time to act is probably sooner than later. This is one of those things I don't think we can put off indefinitely. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is on the line with me. And Eric, uh, I feel encouraged when I talk to you, and, and part of that is because you have been very consistently uh, a voice of reason and a, and a voice of, uh, of sanity in a world that otherwise is, is resembling clown world more by the day. Talk to me about uh, about fuel prices. Things mm-hmm. have kind of stabilized where I am in Idaho. We've been paying three seventy nine, three eighty a gallon for some time, mm-hmm. and it's holding for the moment. What are things like in Virginia, where you are? Oh, they're about the same. Uh, they're slightly less bad. Uh, gas here is about three dollars and twenty cents a gallon, but that is about a dollar and twenty cents more per gallon 
than gas was at the beginning of the year, which is a halting increase. If you work out the math, if you work out, you know, the typical car has about a 15-gallon tank, and most people fill up once a week, and that's four times a month. And if you do the math, uh, the the typical person is now paying well more than $1,000 more uh, to drive than they did last year. That's a heck of a hit to the wallet. And uh, the article that I wrote extrapolated that out a little bit and wondered what it's going to be like when gas costs $5. Note when, not if, when gas costs $5 a gallon. This is a deliberately contrived artificial scarcity thing. It is not the result of natural forces. It is not a market-driven thing. The reason gas prices are so high is because the federal government in the first place, under Joe Biden, has issued a very a variety of decrees that have halted exploration for oil, that have halted the construction of the pipelines to deliver oil, and sent a very clear message that companies that uh, drill for, that explore for, that transport oil are in the crosshairs. And therefore, that acts as an incentive to get them to get out of that business and into the green boondoggle business. So that accounts for part of it. And the other part of it, of course, is this general corruption of the currency that is making the money in our pockets worth less and less every day. So unless these policies are changed, and I see no sign of that happening, I think it is absolutely inevitable that the cost of gas is not only going to go up, it's going to go up a lot, and that is going to cripple the economy, and it's going to affect everybody for the extremely rich. Dang. Well... Better to be aware and be able to, you know, start building your workarounds, or at least, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe maybe we uh, we carpool with with neighbors or whatever when we're making trips if we're if we if we have to. Something else that seems greatly impacted by all that's going on around us is the free flow of reliable information. You had a great article about yeah. when comedians are the last real journalists. Talk to me about yeah. uh, about the Joe Rogan saga. Yeah, it was really interesting. It blew up all over the country, I guess, about a week ago when, when uh, Joe Rogan interviewed Sanjay Gupta, who is CNN's chief medical correspondent, and in a very nice way, I thought, not in a belligerent way, simply uh, confronted him about the fact that CNN deliberately lied, overtly lied about uh, Rogan's situation. Rogan announced a couple of weeks prior that he had gotten COVID and that he had treated himself with ivermectin, not horse paste, not horse dewormer, ivermectin, and he was fine. Now, CNN mocked him and, and uh, portrayed him as an, a buffoon, an imbecile, who was taking horse paste and horse dewormer and chuckling and laughing about it. And uh, Rogan asked uh, Gupta whether he was comfortable working for a news network that, that uh, peddled in deliberate lies and misinformation and asked him why he didn't correct them. And he really made him squirm and really put him on the spot. And it was brilliantly done. It was done with reason, with facts, in a calm manner. And it made Gupta look like the tool that he apparently is. I had hoped while watching that interview that I saw some spark of humanity and chagrin in Gupta and that he might perhaps reevaluate his position and start talking sense, uh, you know, rather than misleading people and confirming all of this, this, this despicable narrative that's being peddled to people. But nope, he went right back on CNN and became one of the, uh, the chuckleheads uh, and, and, and deceivers, purveying all of this misinformation and fear to people. It's very sad, but now we know who Gupta is, and we know who Rogan is. And, and I agree. Gupta came off as slippery. Yeah, they shouldn't have done that. Ha, ha, ha. But no, mm-hmm. you're right. That's, that's a serious uh, matter. And, you know, and, and I, I loved that uh, Rogan followed up with, you know, if you guys would lie to us about this, what are you, what are you telling us about Syria? Are you lying about sure, that, absolutely. too? You know, I've been a journalist for 30 years, and it used to be 
that, uh, that, that a journalist was defined by their integrity. And if they were caught deliberately lying publicly in a, in a news piece, whether it was a written piece, uh, whether it was commentary, in a lie, there went their credibility. And they were done. That was it. People wouldn't listen to them anymore, and rightly so, because that is unforgivable. It's one thing to make a mistake and acknowledge it, uh, to say, you know, hey, I, I, this, this, I thought this was the X, but it turned out to be Y, and, and here's the straight dope. But to deliberately, with malice, go on in a public forum, whether it is on TV, whether it's on the Internet, whether it's in a print article, and to purvey a falsehood is unforgivable. No, I'm, I'm with you there. That, to me, is one of the, the most imperative things that we're facing right now is we've got to have good information in order to better understand what's really happening and to, to make the decisions ahead of us. And, and there are whole organizations, whole institutions now that are set up to prevent us from seeing clearly what's going on. That's true, but there is an upside to this, and uh, the Rogan Gupta thing illustrates what it is. It's become so transparently obvious that these people are not well-intended. That, that they're not honest brokers who've made mistakes or maybe they didn't have all the facts straight, that they are peddling an agenda, that they are trying to mislead people, that they are shaming and silencing people who simply dare to ask reasonable questions and want answers. That's why they have lost, when I say they, the, the mainstream corporate press, have pretty much lost any legitimacy with most people. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're on the left or the right. People don't trust the media anymore, and with very good reason. No, and it's. I, I hope people understand that neither Eric nor I am sitting here trying to tell you this is what you have to think, but we want you to have access to, you know, information that gives you the choice and gives you the opportunity to examine which ideas hold water, which ones don't. Right, exactly. You know, in my own work, whether it's electric cars or whether it's this Corona stuff, I'm not telling people how oh, you shouldn't buy an electric car. I'm pointing out, look, here are the problems with electric cars, and you should be free to make your own decision. And it's the same with regard to the vaccines, the face diapers, any of this stuff. The information should be given to people so that they can make an intelligent and informed choice for themselves. That's the job of a journalist, and unfortunately, many journalists just don't do that anymore. Agreed. Now, we're down to a couple of minutes here. I'm going to take that time to, to point people towards your website so that they can see what it's like to, to experience real, free information. Talk to me about to what a uh, first-time visitor to your website is likely to encounter. Well, they're going to see something pretty eclectic. Uh, I, you know, I call EP Autos the, the web's best libertarian gearhead site because it's a place where you can find stuff that has to do with libertarian political philosophy, but also about new cars, old cars, motorcycles, transportation, the fun of driving, all kinds of stuff. And that's what makes it an unusual place. And we have a free, uh, free, freewheeling comments area uh, where people are posting about all kinds of things. So practically anything that you might be interested in, you'll probably find it there. Yep. And, and take part in the discussions that, that follow each, each article. You'll notice in the comment section. Comment sections are toxic on so many websites. Mm -hmm. You know, I avoid them because some will say the comments are like cancer. Don't read the comments. Yep. Eric Peters Autos, this is the place where you actually want to read the comments because there's some really smart folks that are sounding off in there. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm often humbled by their erudition, their wisdom. Um, and the time they take, you know, some of these comments are themselves full-length articles and, and heavily uh, researched with all kinds of good links in them. Um, we also maintain a really civil space without it being a censored or snowflake place. Uh, you know, people are free to talk about whatever they'd like to talk about, provided it's not just you suck, you stink, right. that kind of thing. 
right? And no, it's it, I I have found that I have learned an awful lot, to, not just from reading your articles, but also from what your commenters mm-hmm. have to say. So you want to feel a little bit smarter at the end of reading stuff. This is one place where the comments will actually do that. Most everywhere else, I, I urge people, don't read the comments. Not if you want to keep <laughs> your peace you, of mind. Yep. Eric, great to catch up with you again. Keep the faith, brother. I know I will. It, it feels like we're, we're, we're Sisyphus pushing that rock up the hill only to have it roll back down every day, but I think we're moving the needle in the right direction here. I think we are, too. All right. We'll talk again next week. Okay, see you then. Again, that's Eric Peters from epautos.com. I've got a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Go show him some love on his site and maybe let his sponsors feel a little bit of your appreciation as well. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want to give a quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com. I kind of hate to admit this because I don't want to sound like I'm as big a wimp as I actually am, but I'm not enjoying grocery shopping that much these days. In fact, when I go to the grocery store, maybe it's because of, of awareness, but I notice the increasing gaps on the store shelves. And that, and that bugs me. It's it's just kind of a, it, it's not like, oh, you know, the, the world is falling apart. It's more like a, ooh, those gaps seem to be growing. And, and the second thing is I look at the prices. And I, I am seeing a noticeable, like I can feel that in my pocketbook increase every single time I go to the grocery store. Some things have been pretty stable. Maybe it's because I live in dairy country, but I've got, you know, milk is still pretty affordable, but whew, meats, I mean, you got to sit down and fill out the loan paperwork, you know, before you get started on a good roast or something like that. It's crazy. And so I've always embraced, well, always, since I had kids, since it's my first was born about 27 years ago, I have really felt the need to be prepared as possible to make sure that we have stores of food laid up for times where there might be scarcity or things would be difficult to come by. And I never really, you know, I mean, I've wondered, how could it happen? Now I'm starting to see a time where, yeah, it's looking plausible. We could actually see want within uh, the very near future. And I tell you this because lifesavingfood.com has great products, but even they are starting to feel the pinch. You're going to see some price increases. This is just because they, they can't absorb them all, you're going to notice that uh, the prices on some things, particularly meats, freeze-dried meats and, and dehydrated foods, you know, entrees like that, they're, they're more expensive and they're tougher to come by. Don't let that stop you, though, from being consistent in getting your preps together. You can still get a nice discount by using the coupon code HIDE at uh, the checkout. The link is in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. So here's an article from John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education. thought this was interesting since this, the push for universal vaccination has been so relentless. Wouldn't you think that we would be seeing a corresponding decrease in the number of new cases with all the people who've been vaccinated worldwide? Well, a new epidemiology paper shows those areas with higher vaccination rates are not seeing fewer COVID-19 cases. 
which raises some very interesting questions about what exactly health planners are doing. John Miltimore says on Friday, the San Francisco Chronicle published an article noting that California has some of the lowest COVID-19 case rates in the U.S., even though the Golden State's vaccination rate lags many states that are currently struggling with the Delta variant. The Chronicle reported one clear example is the New England states of Vermont and Maine. Relatively shielded from the worst of the nation's previous surges, they have struggled against the Delta variant, which has sent their case rates soaring. In fact, Vermont has the highest vaccination rate in the country. Among those 65 years and older, 99.9% are fully vaccinated and 74% of those 18 to 64 are fully vaccinated. That's according to data from the Mayo Clinic. But as the, as the Chronicle points out, despite its high vaccination rate, Vermont recently set a single-day case record for the entire pandemic. And as of October 1st, Vermont's seven-day average case rate per 100,000 people was 30. That's about triple that of the Bay Area. From the San Francisco Chronicle, they say California, <clears throat> the U.S. coronavirus hotspot early this year, in recent weeks has recorded some of the lowest rates case rates in history in country in the country rather lower than some of the states that are more vaccinated and they link to the new england states of vermont and maine there's a twitter link that that you can go to so what the vaccines do and don't do is definitely worth discussing and john miltimore says look there's widespread agreement among scientists that covid-19 vaccines are highly effective at reducing the risk of developing severe covid symptoms which can result in hospitalization and death. But he says their effectiveness at reducing transmission of the virus, however, remains a subject of debate, particularly since the CDC released its findings in July that show vaccinated individuals still contract the virus, transmit it, and carry just as many virus particles in their throat and nasal passages as unvaccinated individuals do when they contract the virus. So while scientists concede that the, vir- that the vaccines rather cannot stop transmission, many contend that they still reduce transmission of the virus. Johns Hopkins epidemiologists M. Kate Grabowski and Justin Lessler argued in the Daily Beast, we are confident vaccination against COVID-19 reduces the chances of tra- transmitting the virus. But John Miltimore points out that other scientists are less sure, and a new study suggests that their skepticism may be warranted. The study published last month in the journal in the European Journal of Epidemiology, that's a monthly peer-reviewed medical journal, examined 168 countries and at 29 sorry, 2947 counties in the US and concluded that higher vaccination rates are not associated with fewer COVID cases. According to the researchers at the at the country level, there appears to be no discernible relationship between percentage of population fully vaccinated and new COVID-19 cases in the last seven days. In fact, the trend line suggests a marginally positive association such that countries with a higher percentage of population fully vaccinated actually have higher COVID-19 cases per 1 million people. Now, at the county level, the researchers said there also appears to be no significant signaling of COVID-19 cases decreasing with higher percentages of the population fully vaccinated. So these findings don't suggest that people shouldn't get vaccinated. Again, there's robust evidence showing vaccines do reduce the risk of severe symptomatic COVID-19 reaction. But what the research does suggest, however, 
is that vaccines are primarily a matter of personal health, not public health. Now, that's exactly what Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, a professor of medicine who studies epidemiology at Stanford, recently suggested. Bhattacharya noted that research indicates that the mRNA vaccines produced by Pfizer and Moderna offer abundant individual protection. Bhattacharya credits his own speedy recovery from COVID-19 to the vaccines, but they don't contribute to herd immunity or improve public health. Now, the findings published in the European Journal of Epidemiology help explain why U.S. states like Vermont and Maine are suffering massive case outbreaks despite their high vaccination rates. And public health experts also point out that California has a much higher level of natural immunity than its eastern counterparts, that according to the Chronicle. But it doesn't explain why so many continue to maintain that the vaccines reduce transmission of the virus as well as offer protection to individuals despite an abundance of evidence, both empirical and anecdotal, to the contrary. One explanation can be found in an observation from economist Ludwig von Mises. John Miltimore writes, Mises famously observed that much of the strife in the modern world is a struggle over who designs the world, authorities or individuals. Now, as Mises put it, we can either have the democratic process of the market, in which every individual has his share, or the exclusive rule of a dictatorial body. So if getting vaccinated is simply a matter of individual health, well, there's little reason for the planners, as Mises called them, to exercise control over the public. That would be akin to requiring individuals to have cancerous tumors removed in the name of public health. But if not getting vaccinated is a threat to public health or society, well, then central planners have their reason, if not a valid justification, to exercise control over society. In other words, evidence shows that COVID vaccination is primarily about individual health. And that runs counter to the raison d'etre, I'm saying that wrong, the reason for existence of the planners, which is to exercise their plan over society. Mises argued in Planned Chaos, what those calling themselves planners advocate is not the substitution of planned action for letting things go. It is the substitution of the planner's own plan for the plans of his fellow man. The planner is a potential dictator who wants to deprive all other people of the power to plan and act according to their own plans. He aims at one thing only, the exclusive absolute preeminence of his own plan. So John Miltimore says, for people trying to understand why, for the first time in modern history, public health officials are trying to combat a respiratory virus by coercing healthy individuals to take their desired actions, and in many cases lose their job and basic freedoms if they don't, he suggests that Ludwig von Mises is required reading. Great quote here, too, from Dr. J. Bhattacharya, saying there's a lot to learn from this graph, but most obviously this is the lesson COVID-vax does not stop infection. The vax provides a private benefit, protection versus severe disease, but limited public benefit. So what is the argument for mandates? I thought that was an interesting twist. I hope you feel the same. Nevertheless, you can find it in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Again, I'm going to encourage you, please check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Whether you agree with me or not, not a big deal. I share this information with the understanding that you are free to crumple it up and throw it in the trash can if that's your desire. Or you can take it and run with it. That choice is up to you. I'm just doing the best I can to push some good, thought-provoking information your way so that you can think a little more clearly and a little more independently about the world around us. But at no point is it implied that you must agree if you're going to listen to this program. It's okay. I'm totally okay. If you if you see a better way, then by all means, go. And, and I would encourage you, if you see a better way, for heaven's sake, say something. I think most of us are trying to find our way in a rather unpredictable world. So I think we kind of have a little duty to help each other there. So if you want a down and dirty recap of why the supply chain woes are growing, got a number of environmental policies that are actually adding fuel to the fire. And there's an excellent write-up from James Howard Kunstler. This was published on lewrockwell.com. Counting the ways that we're being steered into a new, more dangerous crisis. Now, he starts with a couple of swipes at Pete Buttigieg, and, you know, this is, take it for what it's worth. But he says, does America, what America really wants to know is, after those months of family leave, did Pete Buttigieg get the hang of lactating? James Howard Kunstler says, hey, if sexuality is just a social construct, then the functions of sexuality must be teachable. Now Pete can move on to ovulation lessons and become the birthing person of his dreams. Pete's dreams are America's dreams, you see. But he says, in the meantime, America has a little transportation problem that a secretary of transportation might look into if he wasn't so busy performing a gender re-education parable for the woke family values crowd. Namely, that federal rules combined with California Air Resource Board regulations are destroying the trucking industry, a major link in the broken supply chains for the gazillion products and parts that an advanced technological economy needs to keep on keeping on. So here's the lowdown. Under the rules, for example, California wants to phase out tractor-trailer rigs more than three years old and eliminate all trucks that run on fossil fuels by 2035. Now, it happens that most of the truckers who service the ports of Southern California are independents, meaning they have to buy their own rigs, on which many make the equivalent of a mortgage payment because a semi-rig can cost as much as a house. Now, of course, the rig must be allowed to operate for the duration of the loan. The new government regulations cancel that financial formula, and with it, the trucking industry. So, so much for the good intentions of the eco-wonks. James Howard Kunstler says, Secretary Pete may have paid attention to the developing trouble at the shipping container ports in late summer and started an emergency review of these untenable rules and regs. But instead, while learning the ins and outs of chest feeding, he allowed the system to break down. Now, the reality spinners in the Joe Biden news media would like you to think that that breakdown only applies to Christmas swag for the hoi polloi. No inflatable Frosty the Snowman for you this year. You deplorable insurrectionist gorks in your sad little towns out there in the flyover gloaming. (laughs) That's quite a phrase. Actually, though, it applies to most of the things even super hip wokesters need every day in the normal course of things. 
and especially the replacement parts for all the engines and machines that American normality depends upon. Plus, the situation has already moved into food supplies. Now that it's broken, the shortages may persist as far ahead as anyone can see. So James Howard Kunstler says, let us count the ways that America is committing suicide by Democratic Party policy. There is front and center Joe Biden's vaccination mandate with no basis in law, by the way, that's destroying most of the critical services industries in the nation. The hospitals, school systems, police forces, firefighters, ambulance squads, airlines, railroads, restaurants, you name it. No vax, no job for you. And no resuscitation for the unfortunate persons writhing on the floor of their kitchen in myocardial infarction. He says, I'd say that depriving folks of their livelihoods while ensuring harm and death upon the citizenry is a bad combo for public order. One can easily imagine the righteous wrath building to the point where the lampposts in capital cities are decorated with the dangling government officials who caused this to happen. Then there are the vaxes themselves and the COVID cat that dragged them in. He says, do you feel all warm and fuzzy over a shot that will turn your body into a spike protein generator? Considering how spike proteins behave in a human vascular system? Got any more questions or doubts about the number of adverse events seen so far? Looks like more than 10,000 deaths in the USA directly attributable to the vaxes under the VAERS registry. And millions of injuries around the world. Not to mention the murky origins of the disease, the participation of U.S. public health officials in its design and development, and the colossal profits reaped by the pharma companies that sell the vaxes. Have you noted the draconian desperation to vax up absolutely everybody, despite some excellent reasons for people to say, no thanks? Does the big picture look a little nefarious to you? Like some parties are out to bump off a pretty large number of people, including parties who have stated out loud that steeply reducing the global population would be a swell idea. Now he says, in the course of an average day, Do you ever think about all the people from around the world who are jumping the U.S.-Mexican border? It's thousands of them each day and millions piling in over the year 2021 under the averted eyes of Joe Biden and company. Now, some of them are criminal opportunists who, how shall we say, aim to blow stuff up in this country. That's apart from the economic burdens that the nonviolent ones will impose on the nation. Can you blame genuine U.S. citizens from regarding this as an affront to common sense and common decency? Not to mention an insult to the law and the Constitution behind the law. Well, it is, you know. James Howard Kunstler says since it's the federal government's duty to control entry across the border, and since Joe Biden directed the Border Patrol to not perform its duties, will you be surprised if the citizens develop the notion that they have to defend the border themselves? And he asks the question, do you think economic collapse will make any of this better? As winter looms, you'll have plenty of time to mull that over, all bundled up in your kitchen with the propane tanks empty and the last can of cold SpaghettiOs in your gloved fist. But he says, when the time comes for that, don't expect Joe Biden to be reading Thanksgiving homilies off his teleprompter. He will be gone and the Democratic Party horse he rode in on with him. And when that time comes... We will be ready to start stitching things back together again in this land, perhaps a bit differently than the way we'd gotten used to. But he says, be patient and brave. Our time will soon be at hand.
Now, I get it. That's, you know, that last part's a little, little apocalyptic there. Winter looming, <clears throat> propane tanks empty, a cold can of SpaghettiOs. Yeah, that's, that's pretty dire. But this is also very much in keeping with that whole fourth-turning methodology of historical cycles. Think back to the Revolutionary War and the founding period that followed it. Was hardship a pretty common part of American life during that time? It's a simple yes or no answer. But I think there also has to be the consideration of did something good come out of that willingness to endure the suffering? And I think the answer would be absolutely it did. Fast forward to the Civil War and Reconstruction. Sorry, I don't like to call it the Civil War, but the the war between the states and Reconstruction. Was there a lot of suffering then? Oh, you bet your bippy, my friend. 600,000 people killed, millions displaced. Was the outcome better? Well, on the one hand, you know, slavery went away. On the other hand, a different kind of slavery to a national government as opposed to a federal government was implemented. So, yeah, that was a mixed bag. States' rights were pretty much placed on life support at that time. Fast forward another 80 to 100 years, and you have the Great Depression and World War II. I think we could safely say 65 million deaths worldwide, suffering on an unprecedented scale. The world powers aligned differently when it was all done. Some things were good, some things not so good. I mean, we we learned about the Iron Curtain after that. Just understand, we are headed into a similar time of upheaval. And it's going to include civic decay. It's going to include, most likely, war in the sense of some kind of geopolitical conflict. It's going to include economic difficulty. There's going to be real suffering. Now, my point here isn't to scare you. It's just to point out we have been through things like this before. I go back to what Isaac Morehouse is suggesting. Do you want to see a better outcome? Focus on becoming the best version of yourself that you can be. Honest, true, courageous. You'll have more influence than you think. And greater things are ahead. This is The Brian Hyde Show.